it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, the number to call to be on, 1-866-408-7669. We know the countdown to the big debate. We know uh, every week there's a different indictment overwhelming all the other news, frustrating to the other candidates, maybe frustrating to you. Uh, we'll find out where that goes. We'll be covering it. And then it, we have a great, the governor of North Dakota is here, GOP presidential candidate, qualified two weeks ago to be on the stage on Wednesday night on Fox. Uh, governor Burgum's here. Bottom of the hour. Uh, you want to know why Tom Brady's so good? He's got a great life coach. His name is Greg Harden. He's the author of a brand new book called Stay Sane in an Insane World. Uh, we'll talk to him. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And I can tell you who pays for it. The taxpayers of New York State. We are paying for all of this. And we are now paying for the failed leadership of our radical left career politicians. Uh, There you go. Broken borders have Democrats fighting with Democrats while cities and schools are bursting at the seams. Meanwhile, we have a wall, a wall rusting in the desert, which would help every single one of those cities. We're doomed with Joe in the White House. Number two. Don't forget that these prosecutors all have egos. And she's been investigating this thing for two, two and a half years. Jack Smith swoops in. He charges quickly. She said, whoa. Wait a second. Don't necessarily look at this as a as a partisan decision. This is probably an ego decision. So that is Chris Christie, Trump trials, A to Z, what it means for President Trump's quest to be 47 at the age of 77. Number one. Our latest Fox Power rankings has far better news for Tim Scott, putting him in third place behind Trump and DeSantis. The reason why they have him up so far is because our power ranking system takes into consideration early state polls in places like Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, as well as candidate performance. Yep, uh, the Fox Power rankings, we're going to go over it. We have the results, we have the trends, and the game plans, and how they do head-to-head with Joe Biden. Uh, but as you know, if you're watching Fox Nation, you see him. Governor, welcome to the studio. Welcome to New York from North Dakota. Well, fantastic to be here. Thanks for having me on the show, Brian. What was your main decision that made you say to yourself, this is the year I'm going to run? Well, we all know that we're going in the wrong direction under Joe Biden. Economy, energy, national security. We don't just need a course correction. We need a 180-degree turn in the direction we're going. And, of course, in North Dakota, we're a state we feed and fuel the world. We understand uh, global markets. We understand energy markets. Uh, and we're getting it done in North Dakota, and, and the federal government is not. And we've been in the tip of the spear pushing back on, on the overreach from the federal government. And so uh, we know that we've got a lot we can bring to this party and the private sector experience I had for 30-plus years, plus being governor, plus growing up in a small town, 300 people, uh, character, accountability, trust, transparency. That was a way of life where I grew up. So you like Jason Aldean's song? About uh, well, small town. Well, we were selling uh, we were selling T-shirts with uh, Doug Brigham on the front and try it on a small town on the back the day after that song came I out. I guess the answer is yes. <laughs> so you were not supposed to win the governorship. No, we were the outsider. We were the long shot. We jumped into a race in January. The primary was in June. We were down uh, uh, unbelievably almost 60 points, 69 to 10 in the polls. 
Uh, we ended up winning that primary uh, 60-40, uh, went on to win the general in 16, reelected in 2020 by over 40 points both times, largest margins of any gubernatorial races those years. And those years doing that uh, and your years doing business made you think that you're ready for a bigger challenge? Well, absolutely, because uh, first of all, I don't think anybody should be running. With the economy where we are right now, interest rates at a 22-year 20, high, inflation uh, still out of control no matter what they tell you. If they tell you inflation is down, what that means is prices are still rising. They're just rising less slowly, but most Americans are paying 700 bucks more a month than they were before. If we, we need to have someone in the White House who understands how this economy works and technology is changing every job, every company, every industry. It hasn't changed government. But if we're, we're in a cold war with China, we need someone who understands how these global markets work. And, you know, I, I've been, uh, you know, competing against China for 30 years uh, in the software market. They've stolen every piece of software we've ever made. And, and I think it's just important that we're under a cyber attack every single day. Right. I mean, and then from an energy standpoint, we need to start selling energy to our friends and allies and stop buying it from adversaries. Putin doesn't invade Ukraine unless he's got all of Western Europe dependent on on energy. And then under the Biden, the Biden sanctions, yeah, we're sanctioning. Sanctions don't work unless everybody's on board. We sanction Russian oil. China gets Russian oil at 20 to 30 percent off. I as think, does India, which lets us down as an ally. Yeah. But they say, well, we have a relationship with them. And we don't really pressure them. Yeah. Uh, I want you to hear what President Biden says. He has a different take on uh, the economy, specifically Bidenomics. Cut 22. The poor have a ladder up. The middle class are, have a good shot. And, and, and the wealthy do very well. The Financial Times and the Wall Street Journal initially called my plan Bidenomics. I'm not sure they meant it in a totally complimentary way at the time. <laughs> but guess what? Uh, that creepy way that he whispers really throws uh, uh, throws me off. But he does believe it's working. He does not really care about the deficit, but he points to the fact that our unemployment's at three point four or five percent. Unemployment has nothing to do with Biden economics. It has to do with we've got more baby boomers retiring than we've got uh, new workforce. We actually, need in. workers. We need workers. We have ten million jobs open. He should be talking about what we're doing to increase workforce as opposed to talking about unemployment. Uh, we're going to have chronic unemployment for a decade because of this, the demographics in this country. But Biden economics are not working. The, the, in, the Inflation Re, you know, Recovery Act, Reduction Act, that's like the Inflation Creation Act. That thing is $1.2 trillion of Green New Deal that is subsidizing industries. You want to buy you, – you want to have a plan where we just trade our dependence from OPEC to sign OPEC, then transfer every transportation vehicle in America from – liquid fueled to batteries because then we're going to be you know china's controlling 85 percent of the rare earth minerals in the world solar panels too and solar panels and those batteries and those solar panels china is building a coal plant every two weeks a solar panel is made in a plant powered by coal a battery's made in a plant powered by coal if there's electricity in china it's powered by coal and so we, we it's just we are not solving any environmental issues if you cared about the environment you'd want to have every drop of energy you know, produced here in the United States, and you would say, hey, what's the fastest way we can stabilize the world and, you know, put America back on top, sell energy to our friends and allies, stop buying it from our adversaries. But the Biden, I feel like China wrote the Biden, the Bidenomics policy because the Biden economics policy is basically we're going to subsidize 500,000 EV charging stations, but you can't permit a transmission line and we're going to shut down all the baseload power. So there's nothing about physics. There's nothing about economics. There's nothing about common sense where this makes anything. It, does, it hurts Americans. Every American's paying too much for gas. They're paying too much for heating oil. They're paying too much for electricity. They're paying too much for every consumer good.
Governor Burgum's here. Uh, he's going to be on the debate stage on Wednesday on Fox. Here's what President Biden did challenging you guys or anybody. Cut 25. There is no quit in America. Name me a single objective we've ever set out to accomplish that we've failed on. Name me one in all of our history. Not one. It's never been a good bet to bet against America. And it's still not a good bet today. This is still a country that believes in honesty, decency, and integrity. We're still a country that believes in hard work. Seems angry all the time, but he does say that anybody really, he kind of mock Republicans who are against the infrastructure bill and mock Republicans who are against the, uh, against the Inflation Reduction Act while saying, I mislabeled it and laughing about it. He said it really doesn't reduce inflation. It is a green bill that cost over a trillion dollars. Yeah, and, and, and I said, and it's, they call it green, but like, as I said, it's not improving the environment one lick because all we're doing is, you know, outsourcing somebody's environmental guilt to a country who's tearing up the world. China, to build a battery, has got to get rare earth minerals. They don't control them. We handed over Afghanistan uh, to them with a, with a, you know, disastrous and horrific withdrawal. Rare earth Afghanistan has rare earth. It has a ton of rare earth. They call them rare earth because it's parts per million. China's tearing up the Congo and other places in Africa to move. They move 500,000 pounds of earth just to get enough material for one battery. And this is this is this is an environmental solution. But it's a fantasy when he says name one thing that America has accomplished well, under Biden. I can name another thing. He's not solving interest rates. He's not solving inflation. And he's definitely not solving the border. I was down there last week with with we have two deployments of North Dakota National Guard at the border. We have an open border. It's a complete crisis of national security. The job of the president is national security. That includes border security. That includes energy security. And he's failing at both of those. So right now, as you come out to this debate, you you uh, quickly qualified. But, Governor, you're still in the name recognition game. So you're about a 1% according to the latest Fox poll. How do you change that? Well, And how much pressure is on you at the debate to do that with 30 million people watching? Well, the, we, we know that national elections start out in Iowa and New Hampshire. And if you look at those polls, uh, you know, we, we've been as high as tied for fourth in New Hampshire, places where we're on the ground. So for two months into this race, we're excited. Is about that what you plan? Is that the plan? Yeah, absolutely. Is that the plan, this, uh, the first two states? Yeah, the, well, focus on the first two states and keep driving there. we got to have momentum. If you don't have momentum coming out of those two states, you're not in the race. And we know that our message about economy, energy, national security is absolutely breaking through in those states. Uh, you know, it's like asking somebody, if, you know, if I had a new uh, national product that had only been launched in two states, then you asked every American, what do you think about the product? And they said, I don't know, I've never seen it. So we're, we're at the spot where we're working on name recognition, but we are – uh, we're, we know with the message we have, we know with the track record we have, we know that that message is breaking through. The one thing, uh, is I heard your frustration a couple of weeks ago. You said, uh, all your questions about Donald Trump. I have a, but I, my resume, take me on. I have my track record, take me on. How frustrating is it to have your first, I watch all the Sunday shows and every time you hop on the first five questions are about Trump. How do you handle it? How, do you have a strategy to handle it? Well, we just say, look, there's an entire there's an entire industry, seven by 24, uh, that wants to talk about these issues. Uh, presidential elections need to be about the future. They have to be about leadership. They have to be about character. They have to be about policy. So we're going to keep talking about what we bring to this party. But the height, the height of this, Brian, was when we were at the border last week, I was on uh, a... I, well, I hesitate to call him a competitor, but let's just call it a national, well-known cable national news with a well-known broadcaster. There was people literally walking across the Rio Grande illegally into the United States behind me, 
they said, we want you to have on our show to talk about the border. The first three questions were about indictments as in over my shoulder, there's people illegally entering our country. It, yeah, it's incredible. Now, I understand when a president of the United States indicted once, it is historic. The second time, you know, you're making history. The third time, this is the fourth, the fourth indictment. And this fourth, according to almost all legal experts, is really handled in the, other, in the prior indictments. This is, as Chris Christie said, about ego. It's about the ego of a district attorney. And the precedent it sets four years down the road, there's this thing called Republican states, North Dakota example. What if you have an ambitious prosecutor there who doesn't like the Democrat? I'm going to bring a lawsuit against the next uh, the next Clinton or Biden or Obama that wants to run. Is that good for the country? Well, you're totally right, Brian, because this is much bigger than any any indictment. It's about the future of the United States, because if 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 we end up where each of you know half of the country doesn't trust the other half, doesn't trust the institutions, the democracy, doesn't trust our elections, doesn't trust the judicial system. That's the beginning of the end of democracy. And I, all I know is in every organization I've been involved with, if you want to have trust, it starts at the top. That starts at the White House. It starts at the White House, absolutely, because I understand why you've got people in this country thinking we've got a two-tiered system. When we see the, you know, the, the, the sweetheart deal that was trying to be cut for Hunter Biden, when we see that, uh, you can understand why Americans on the ground are just saying, hey, why should we trust any of this? How many appearances have you made so far, not on TV, but in person in North Dakota, Excuse me, in uh, Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, I've lost, mean, lost count. But we, we've spent, uh, you know, we ever since we launched in June seventh, we've been very active on the ground every week. When we come back, yeah. I want to know what they're asking you, okay, uh, on the ground, and and the biggest surprise you've had too, because again, you're kind of new to the politics game, let alone the national scene. Uh, the governor of North Dakota is here, Governor Burgum. He's going to talk more about what he plans on doing on Wednesday more. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Here at first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Governor Burgum's here. GOP presidential candidate will be on that stage on Wednesday. Governor, have you had debates with a group of candidates before? When I ran in 16, uh, we had a multi-candidate primary. So the answer is yes, but not not with uh, seven or eight other candidates. And all very experienced. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure you can call this a debate when there's no opening, no opening no remarks, remarks, and then it's 60 seconds per answer. Uh, this is kind of like the uh, Snapchat debate. Like, so 30 second follow up too. Yeah, and then you'll have I think 45 seconds to close. I'm not sure. So having said that, these are the rules. Tell yeah. me what, what your approach is. Well, we're, as you said at the outset, everybody else on that stage has got national name recognition. Everybody knows what they're about. Everybody's got a view about them, and we're going to be the least known person on the stage. So our objective is just to make sure. People know our story. They know who we are. They know that. So do I, the bio thing. Well, it's, it's bio, and it's also bio and character and capability. It's all of those things. But yeah, they need to, they need to understand that there's somebody on the stage that grew up. We you don't know, working on the farm, working on the ranch, working as a ch- chimney sweep to pay my way through college. I mean, every job I had, I took a shower at the end of the day, not the beginning of the day. Uh, America needs to know that it would be great. To, wouldn't it be great to have a president who actually understands what working people do? Someone, you know, right. my dad died when I was a freshman in high school. My mom, widow, goes 
goes back to work with th- raising three kids. I understand what working moms are going through, and I understand how to pull the levers of government to improve every American life. That's our mission because we can do that. So my dad died in ninth grade, and my mom had to go back to work with three kids. Oh. So and here same, you are. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. Yeah. But you're way ahead of me. Uh, no, I don't think so. But. but, Governor, when you look at Marco Rubio got stopped by Chris Christie, when you see Mitt Romney or you see Barack Obama take down Hillary Clinton, you're likable enough. In your head, are you playing out how you would go at different people when that when that moment happens, if they come at you? I. I'm going after Joe Biden. That's my objective next week. I mean, you know, you know who loves it when Republicans go after each other? Well, I mean, maybe maybe if your goal is try to get cable ratings up, it's great to have Republicans fighting with Republicans. But China loves it. Putin loves it. I mean, this is they just go, hey, this is the end of democracy. They go back and tell their people. But you have to win the semifinals in order to get to the finals, which is Biden. Right. And you have to get to the semifinals. And the way you get to the semifinals is you basically paint a vision of the presidential presidential races are about the future, not about the past. And and if everybody has just got who can outline the grievances the most, right. uh, that's not a winning strategy. So, Governor, the biggest surprise is the governor of North Dakota starts walking the streets of Iowa, New Hampshire. What are people saying to you that you thought to you, you turned around to your staff and said, I cannot believe this. Uh, this is really surprising. Well, it doesn't surprise me because the people in small towns in Iowa and Similar? New Hampshire are so like what, the ones, what are they, what are they the ones in North Dakota, which is they're getting crushed, you know, by the economic policies of Biden. I mean, they're getting crushed. I mean, 700 bucks more a month is what the average family is paying for their basic goods today versus when Biden took office. And 30 percent, basically, prices have risen about 30 percent. They talk about inflation you know, the number they release, it doesn't include food or energy. Every working family has got to put food on the table right. and they've got to, they've got to, I was talking to a, a, a manufacturer in North Dakota that sells base products for whole wheat bread around the country. In some markets, their sales are off 25% and he believes it's just because people can't afford to buy their, you know, they're buy, they're not buying as much food. I know you have no control of it, but do you want President Trump there on Wednesday? Uh, every candidate's got to make their own decision about what's right for them. And, I, and so I'm, I'm not advising the Trump campaign. They'll have it to make that It would double your audience. Yeah. So you want him there. Well, yeah, we, double the audience. But, you know, who knows? Maybe it also, uh, you know, cuts out 50 percent of everybody else's talking time. So there's tradeoffs. But we're, you know, every every candidate's got to make their own decision. We're just going to be there whether whether all the candidates there are not there. That's their choices. We're going to be there talking about our right. vision for the future of America. It's been great getting to know you. Congratulations on all your success. Good luck Wednesday. Thank you, Brian. Great to be with you. All right. That's Governor Burgum. Now, you want to stick around because Tom Brady's life coach coming up next. The secret to completing almost every pass. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Following Greg Harden on any sporting day is to see how revered he is. You'll see players coming up and giving him the high five and the little shoulder bump, the bro hugs. Greg Harden is the secret weapon at the University of Michigan. And that is James Brown of CBS uh, just talking about Greg Harden, uh, author of Stay Sane in an Insane World, uh, Tom Brady's uh, I guess life coach, but I'm looking at it's almost everybody at the University of Michigan and other people like Michael Phelps uh, that have made he's made a real impact in their lives and some of those principles he believes will help your life. And with me right now is Greg Harden. Greg, welcome. Well, good morning, indeed, young man. Yeah, well, I'm pumped up already. So, Greg, <laughs> well, 
Now, why is this the right time for you to write your books and, and unlock and let everyone know your secret to your success? Is it because Tom Brady called it a career? Well, no, it's because people like Tom and Desmond Howard have been harassing me, bothering me, poking at me to get something done and put it out there so that people can see that it's not about sports. What I taught them is what I'm teaching anyone that will listen, and that is how to become the world's greatest expert on one subject, yourself. And who taught you? Man, that's a great question. (laughs) God has a sense of humor, that's for sure. And I had to learn the hard way how to get out of my own way. And that's what we're trying to do is get people to understand that usually their limitations are self-imposed. And so uh, I learned from, I had great mentors. I had amazing people in my life who, who signed up and believed in me before I believed in myself. So is this about success or is this about happiness? Ooh, my man. See, that's a great question because a lot of people, when you ask them to describe success, if they don't include happiness, they're confused because you and I know, you and I know people who are extremely successful who are not happy, who are depressed and miserable, who might even take their own life. So, yes, success comes when you are pursuing happiness, but the pursuit of happiness has to include trying to have amazing relationships, trying to be somebody that can can share with care, compassion, and concern who they are and what they want. How did you uh, start uh, using some of the principles at the University of Michigan? How did that come to be? Um, well, I was invited to uh, come in and talk about alcohol and drugs. And I told them 18 to 22-year-olds don't need lectures about alcohol and drugs. They know more about it than we do, <laughs> right? Right. So then I suggested that perhaps uh, we could do some programming to teach people how to identify self-defeating attitudes and behaviors, the ways that I act, the ways that I might behave that could sabotage my dream. Everyone in an institution like a university has big dreams, And so if we can teach people how to identify and eliminate self-defeating attitudes, we increase their chances of success. So we're talking about how to be the best possible version of yourself. I teach people first become the world's greatest expert. And that's how it all started. And so if you can come in and talk to somebody about uh, uh, anything as minute as I'm dating a fool all the way till I'm, I hate myself. That That's a wide, wide continuum of care. And so you've got to give people somebody to talk to about life and the pursuit of happiness, what's working, what's not working. And so that's what we did. We created this model, which was now going to be, be called behavioral health care. And, be, and we started it like years, decades before anyone else was talking about it. And could you give us uh, uh, an idea of this of this curriculum because it seems to be effective with the biggest name in sports room as I mentioned Jim Harbaugh uh, when he was a player now he's a coach Tom my, he probably needs it more now uh, Tom Brady who was buried in the bench at the University of Michigan thought he made the bad choice a guy ahead of him was actually I think the coach's son and next thing you know he uh, becomes a starter's got to share the job uh, with Drew Henson gets a, becomes a six round draft pick and the greatest quarterback ever 
He says this, Greg Carden has and will always be one of the most influential people in my life. He has helped me with my own struggles, personal struggles in both athletics and in life. What I learned from Greg is still a part of who I am today. When he writes that, what do you think? I immediately start thinking about how important it is to share with anyone that this book is not about Tom, it's not about me, it's about them. And it's about them learning the same things I taught and teach anyone that will listen. The first thing I had to teach Tom Brady at 19 years old is to stop worrying about what everybody else thinks. I don't care what your coaches think. All I care about is what you think. I don't care if they don't believe in you. All I care about is do you believe in you? And then you teach them how to talk about controlling what they can control. I can't control what they think or how they operate or how they make decisions. What I can control is how I respond. What I can control, what Tom Brady can control, is how he walks out on the field, and if he's in the sixth, seventh slot, he acts like he's a number one quarterback every chance he gets. I know he wrote about that in his book, too. That's the way he approached it. His practices were his games if he wasn't going to get in the game. Um, the name of the book, that's your, that you just mentioned your subtitle, How to Control the Uncontrollables and Thrive. I want everyone to hear a clip from you at 60 Minutes. It's Tom Brady and you uh, talking uh, about, you know, basically what you bring to the table. Cut 48. You know, he's probably the first person in your life that says, well, you don't deserve to really be on the field. He said that to you? I don't remember if that's exactly what it says, but he said, look, there's a reason why the other guy's out there. Tom Brady went to see him when Tom was in college at Michigan because he was feeling badly. He's just frustrated. He's tired. And he he knows that uh, he has to do something different and he can't figure out what. Don't go to Greg if you don't want to hear the truth. He will hit you between the eyes if he will. They told me this all the time. If if you don't believe in yourself, then why is anyone else going to believe in you? What matters is his heart and his mind. You can't measure that boy's heart. You can't measure his mind. And in that sport, all they do is measure. How hard can you? How big are your hands? Uh, how much? How how tall are you? How much do you weigh? They don't even want to get to know the person. All you have to do is watch the combines to see that you're the opposite, right? Yes, sir. I'm that guy that has the audacity to believe that. While you can measure how high I jump and how much weight I can lift and how fast I am, you cannot measure my heart or my mind. They cannot. Look, Brian, you know what you've done. I don't have a clue what you've done, but you know you don't look like what you've been through. <laughs> you know that you have pushed yourself when, and when everyone questioned and doubted you and you rose above it. That's all we're trying to teach people is to do what the most successful people that we've ever heard of have to do. They have to get outside of themselves. They've got to be so clear about who they are and their self-love and self-acceptance has to overrule wanting everyone else's approval and acceptance. I don't want to put down, everybody talks about this next generation not being tough enough, but I do know one thing pretty consistent. In terms of clearing obstacles and scaring and scaling hurdles, that doesn't seem to be something they're thriving at. Where they might have the great intellect, they might be a bit uh, smarter, whatever you want to say. I think we've lost the toughness. Well, I tell you what, uh, I'm going to disagree with you politely. You ready? I think that we are not taking any ownership for how we're training them. We have we pampered them. We spoiled them. 
we set them up to be privileged and I don't wanna why am I I had a I had a person's mother call me and ask me why they did I didn't hire their son. <laughs> right? That's come on man. But we have to begin to understand that these young people today are capable and qualified and we've got to walk in and expect the best from them and push them more than we have. That's my opinion. And let them fail. Come on, man. Let them fail because I've got to learn how to manage failure. I've got, I'm teaching people how to manage success. So, you know, we got to teach them how to manage failure and to understand that Failure, loss, grief, disappointment, trials, and tribulations are predictable and therefore manageable. Most importantly, how do you recover? When we talk about physical fitness, we understand recovery time. When we talk about training for mental fitness, that's to balance out our quest to remain mentally healthy, to to not just wait until we're in trouble and in chaos, but to practice, train, and rehearse, being more successful than the average person at recovering as fast as I can from the crises and challenges I face. Greg Harden's right, my guest right now. He's the author of Stay Sane in an Insane uh, World. By the way, what did you say to that mom that called up and said, why didn't you hire their son? I asked her to perhaps she should consider calling someone else because that's not what we're going to talk about. <laughs> I don't know you. I didn't interview you. Have your child call me and ask me why. <laughs> Understood. So it's, I don't know if this this really is exactly what you're talking about, but it just reminds me of what Mike Rowe said to me. You know, he goes out there and does dirty jobs, and he deals with a lot of blue-collar workers who have traveled the country and find out what they're about. And he's amazed how how much happier they are than the Hollywood news community that he also hangs out with. And he says, here are people not making as much, but they had a certainty an occupation and a pride in which they did, uh, and which, for the most part, broadly based, uh, and a pride in what they did, and they had balance in their lives. He goes, it's amazing to me how hap- much happier they were. How does that fit into your philosophy and policy? Uh, kill me, you know you're knocking that out the park. Think about what you're saying. We're talking about regular folks whose self-worth and self-esteem is not based on someone else's measurement. It's not based on how much money they make. It's not based on whether or not they get a, got an award. Or, 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 or It's based on self-love and self-acceptance. Remember the person in your neighborhood who didn't have everything, but you couldn't wait to go to their house? Yeah, <laughs> because of that energy and the atmosphere and the attitudes in that house just drew you in. So belief in myself, belief in 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 having a life worth living, that's not doesn't come with money. It comes from something inside you. So I imagine if it does do that. For example, the forty-eight-year-old cop that retires, that identity was wrapped up in that uniform as a firefighter mm-hmm. or a cop. Or somebody that retires or uh, is no longer acting or performing, if their identity is wrapped up in their athleticism, like Tom Brady retires at 45 years old. I mean, if his identity is wrapped up in his occupation, that adjustment is going to be huge, let alone the 26-year-old who no longer feels as though any football team wants to sign him and was struggling to make a roster to begin with. Though, Do you get a lot of those clients? Yes. Well, think about this, though. 
I, earlier you you posed the question and and I set you up just right. What we're talking about is teaching anyone that will listen that how I feel about me must not be based on other people's opinion. Who I am, imagine telling a 19-year-old Tom Brady, a Charles Woodson, a Desmond Howard, a Michael Phelps, you've got to decide with or without football, your life is going to be amazing. And once you believe that, football becomes what you do, not who you are. You just happen to do it better than most. So so when you go up to a guy that's a six-string quarterback at the University of Michigan who's mm-hmm. uh, rail thin, uh, who wonders if they made the right choice, maybe they could be, in Tom Brady's case, I think he could have played baseball, some people said. So yes. when his answer is, well, it's what you think of yourself. If his answer is, I don't think much of myself. You know, I'm not that good, don't know many people on campus, kind of 1,500 miles away from my family. I don't, I don't, if his answer is, I don't have that self-esteem, then what do you say? You say, then that's what we're going to be doing. I can't tell you how to throw a ball. I can't tell you how to read defenses. What I can teach you is to believe in yourself without question or pause, to believe that your life has meaning and purpose. It may not be football. But we're going to find out who you are and who you want to become. And that takes work. Bruh, you, you train to be physically fit. You have to train to be mentally fit. You don't just, you know, say, well, I came in and I saw Greg Harden and, uh, you know, uh, six months ago, and uh, I can't remember what he said. You have to get coaching. You have to have mm-hmm. – it has to be – a recurring theme that you're going to work out on your mind. Understood. And, and you know, just because you're not going to win a Super Bowl, hold up the Lombardi Trophy, it doesn't mean you can't be a winner in life, nor should you judge yourself on that. Last thing, I also think, too, for younger people listening to us right now, a lot of them say, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to major in. And my answer has been, go find out. What does your neighbor do? Are they happy? Well, what, are the, what, is go, you know, what it does interest you? Why don't you find out what it's like to own a business, a deli, a, a dry cleaner? What does it enable you to do? To, you want to be a lifeguard? Go, find, go talk to a lifeguard. But you've got to aggressively attack it. And even if you decide, hey, that's not for me, that's still a victory. Brian, kill me. Your stock just went up with me. Are you ready for this? You said exactly what must be said. I remember I told God if I lived to see 25, there must be some purpose. I hit 25 and said, oops, I guess I made a promise. And so, okay, I've got to find my purpose. Well, guess what my first purpose was? To find my purpose. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll pursue, to pursue it, to find out what clicks, to experiment. Like you said, bro, you nailed it. Well, uh... you. Greg, Nailed it. Well, I got I got news for you. You sold a lot of books. Uh, Greg Harden, Motivating America, uh, one radio show at a time and one quarterback at a time. Stay <laughs> sane in an insane world. Uh, Greg, congratulations on it and great talking to you. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate you. All right. When we come back, I appreciate you. I will take your calls. And no excuses. Get on the phone. Don't tell me you're at work. You heard me. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, uh, two great guests, right? Governor Burgum, if you, even if you're not going to vote for him, you cannot say he's not an impressive guy. You heard what his circumstances were. And in North Dakota, 
I have been to South Dakota. Uh, I'm in North Dakota, but the way I understand it, there's not a whole bunch of opportunities around the box. You got to go make that thing work. And he managed to do that. So, uh, that was great. And then just to have someone as motivational as Greg Harden, uh, was pretty cool. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind too, the one thing that they say about, uh, Tom Brady is that it's not that he didn't want to retire. He just liked the competition. I do worry. And he would know. I do worry about a guy like Tom Brady, who's got a life that is so regimented, it actually hurt his personal life. And then when you don't have to do these things, uh, all hell could break loose. And, of course, going through the divorce. But if you're going to go through a divorce and you want to bounce back, it might be a good thing to do to bounce back with Arena Shake, I think you say her name is, because um, she happens to be unofficially one of the most attractive women that we've ever had as a guest on Fox & Friends. I could say that, right? And I think that um, they're perfect for each other. So good luck. Hey, don't forget to watch uh, and watch One Nation Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Got a great roster of guests from Kellyanne Conway to the co-host quiz to a great part two of Jordan Peterson. He talks about, guess what? The key to happiness. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. From 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jimmy Fallon coming up at the bottom of the hour from Fox Across America. He's got a bunch of shows coming up. He also is uh, hosting a brand new series on Fox Nation. Uh, And Mark Thiessen is standing by. He is always interesting to talk to, and we have so much, so much compelling uh, things to talk about, especially in the GOP side, with the debate just days away. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And I can tell you who pays for it. The taxpayers of New York State. We are paying for all of this, and we are now paying for the failed leadership of our radical left career politicians. Yeah, uh, broken border. Have Dems fighting Dems. I'm talking about the governor of New York with the mayor of New York. While cities and schools are bursting at the seams, just wait till you go back. Meanwhile, we paid, paid for a wall that's rusting in the desert. We are doomed with Joe at the White House. Number two. Don't forget that these prosecutors all have egos. And she's been investigating this thing for two, two and a half years. Jack Smith swoops in. He charges quickly. And she said, whoa. Wait a second. Don't necessarily look at this as a as a partisan decision. This is probably an ego decision. And I give you Chris Christie credit. The first time he's just not been blatantly anti-Trump. Trump trials from A to Z and what it means for his quest to be 47 at 77. Number one. Our latest Fox Power rankings has far better news for Tim Scott, putting him in third place behind Trump and DeSantis. The reason why they have him up so far is because our power ranking system takes into consideration early state polls in places like Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, as well as candidate performance. Yep, uh, Fox Power rankings are in. We have the results, trends, and game plans leading up to Wednesday's impactful first debate. Uh, two, two names come out to... Uh, well, three names. First, Donald Trump winning, uh, and he's had a, a very strong lead from 56 to 
The guy in the upswing big time is Vivek Ramaswamy. It's totally earned. Watch him in action. Even if you don't agree with his policies, you have to admire his intellect and the way he's competing. And also, they believe when it comes to the power ratings, not necessarily in the polls yet, Tim Scott. What does Mark Thiessen think? Why don't I ask him? We booked him from the Washington Post, Fox News contributor, uh, former speechwriter for George W. Bush. Welcome back, Mark. Good to be with you, Brian. So, Mark, the power rankings, uh, Tim Scott on the upswing, they say that he he seems to have the team, he's got the money, he's got the message, yep. uh, and he's got the energy. He's really hammering it out in the in the early states, but he's not winning South Carolina right now. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's early. Uh, you know, as we, as you said, we haven't even had the first debate yet. The first debate is next week. I actually kind of hope that Donald Trump doesn't show up to the debate. Don't tell the, the don't tell the uh, people checking out ratings uh, at Fox that I said that. But I'd like the Republican electorate to look at that stage with that. Just across the board, the embarrassment of riches, the embarrassment of talent, the vision, the 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 policy chops that's sitting on that stage and ask themselves, why am I not picking one of these guys to be my nominee? Because any one of those people from, from, you know, double digits in the polls to single digits could crush Joe Biden in November. And the question for Republicans is, is do we want to win or do we want to, or, or do we want to avenge Donald Trump? Uh, and, and there's just so much talent on that stage. And, you know, who knows? Somebody, somebody could, every debate last, uh, last time around, somebody emerged. Uh, who just had a great performance and surprised everybody. So I'm I'm looking forward to it the way I look forward to a Super Bowl. It's like, you know, they're, they're, they're finally hitting the field. I want to see what they can do. I want to see how they can take each other on. I want to see who emerges from that debate, uh, you know, impressing the Republican electorate. And then they can go on and take on Donald Trump. We really have two Republican primaries going on. we got the primary to be the challenger to Trump, and then the Trump versus that person primary. Uh, and somebody's got to emerge or else Trump wins it. Well, the one thing is, and I tend to agree with you, but I'm just going to look at the Fox poll. And the Fox mm-hmm. poll shows Trump losing by three, DeSantis losing by five, Ramaswamy losing by seven, Nikki Haley losing by seven, Tim Scott by six. And that really tested my math skills, by the way. That was in my head. I did that. <laughs> so, I mean, Joe Biden's beating all of them. Now, I know it's a, a survey yeah. of registered voters, plus or minus three. Within the margin of error. That stuns me on pure performance. Well, here's the difference. The only known commodity to the voters is Donald Trump. They don't they don't know these guys yet. And the only person in that survey where there was an AP poll that just came out this week, 64 percent of Americans say they will not vote for Donald Trump in in, in November 2024. Uh, 53% of them say no way, no how, no buts, not going to happen. Another 11th percent say probably will not vote for him. So you're starting with a 64% uh, hole if you're Donald Trump as the nominee. None of the other nominees have that. The, uh, none of the other candidates have that hole to dig themselves out of. There, and, and the problem for Trump is the swing voters – who will decide this election? This isn't. This isn't a national election. It's not even a state by state election. It's. A, it's. A, it, it is. It's. It's going to be decided by about two hundred thousand swing voters in five states. And the question is, are those people willing to consider Trump or not? And if they are not, if they've decided that Donald Trump is not qualified to be president, has discredited himself through the election stuff, then then we lose. And so the question is, do we have a candidate who can convince those people that they'd be a better alternative than Joe Biden? And it's just that simple. Um, you know, 
I, 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 just, I, I tend to think that he has just irreparably damaged himself with those swing voters. And it doesn't matter how much Republicans love him and no matter how much enthusiasm they have for him. If you can't figure if you can't convince those people, you lose the election. So so if I look at this Fox poll, and it's just one poll, but it's, it shows trend. Seven, he with among Republican registered voters, 78 percent approve of Trump, 66 yeah. percent approval on DeSantis. Vivek 51, the rest are under 50. What does, does that make you change your mind? No, because it's early, and I want to see somebody emerge. they got to fight it out, and they got to figure out who's the, who's the candidate. But here's the other thing. There's a lot of voters who approve of Republican voters who approve of Trump but are not voting for Trump. I mean, if you look through the so top th- first three states, Iowa, uh, New Hampshire, South Carolina, right? Trump is is winning those states right now with about 44 percent, 42 percent, 43 percent. That means 56 percent, 57 percent, 58 percent of Republicans are not supporting him. He doesn't have a majority in any one of the uh, of the early primary states. It's just that they haven't consolidated around one candidate. They might never. He might end up defeating a united, a divided field. But if one person emerges from that field on that debate stage to be the consensus candidate, and people and the Republicans show the same discipline the Democrats did when it looked like. I mean, keep in mind, uh, Joe Biden lost Iowa, lost New Hampshire. And it looked like he was finished. And then all of a sudden, the Democrats said, holy crap, we're going to we're going to nominate Bernie Sanders. And this is going to be in the landslide. We better turn around. And they ended up nominating Biden as the least worst candidate, not because they loved him, but because they thought he was the only one who wouldn't lose to Trump. So, so the question becomes, do Republicans come to that same conclusion at some point or not? So Dan Henniger was as felt like you with Trump, you know, liked his policies, yeah. didn't like the antics of The Wall Street Journal. And I'm reading him today. I was really surprised. He said the rate of these indictments, what was behind them, the reaction from them, Joe Biden's agenda, uh, the way people have rallied around him. He said, I'm no longer convinced he can't win a general election. I'm no longer convinced he can't win a general election either. And also, I'd throw in one more thing. Look at how Joe Biden has uh, declined in the last 15 months. Physically, mentally, I mean, if, if, if you look at him on the day of his inauguration and look at him today, he's not the same man he was even then. And even then, he was in people. Imagine what he's going to look like in 15 months from now. You know, he might not be able to debate. And, and so, yeah, is it possible that Donald Trump could win? Of course it is. But he is the least likely candidate to do so of the Republican field. That's the problem. It's like, do you want to take a chance that Donald Trump might be able to pull a rabbit out of a hat and pull and win this thing, despite all of everything? All but, the, all but, but I know you say it's early, but it's counterintuitive to everything we've seen in the polls. You're acting like you're acting like I'm saying uh, Asa Hutchinson can win. I'm not asking you because he's got zero no. percent, even though he's, by the way, yeah. great resume on him. Uh, but yeah. he's never going to be president. I don't know why he's in the race. Right. But he does. I mean, yeah. the guy's got experience. I'll say that. Uh, I want you to hear what Newt Gingrich said. Cut 10. I think the day he walks into a courtroom, 15 million people will volunteer to be surrogates campaigning for Trump. I think I think I think people are now so angry. Right. At what is such. I mean, the, the, the Atlanta situation was an absurdity. That's a district attorney who if the state of Georgia, in any respect, would get her out of office. Right. Uh, and you watch this whole thing, and I'm told it was all orchestrated from Washington. And after the Weiss nomination as a, as a special counsel blew up, that Friday night somebody called and said, you got to move Monday. 
And, and this is the policy. Something happens with Hunter, you have an indictment on the president, some other revelation, additional indictments on the Mar-a-Lago case. I mean, yeah. and then and then he went on to say this, and tell me if it worries you. He said, if a Fulton County prosecutor and the uh, a borough prosecutor in Manhattan could indict a, a president who might be president again and was before, would make how soon to Republicans exact revenge in Oklahoma, in Florida, in Texas? And what does this do for our country? But that's the precedent's been set. And now he says people have been mobilized and so angered. They're saying, yeah, I hate January 6th. I don't like that he took documents down there. But, man, you guys have totally overreacted. 700 years in prison, 100 charges, please. I think it's 1,000 years in prison. Of course they've overreacted. It's an outrage. Our, Our justice system is being weaponized against him. There's absolutely no question. And Newt is right. The second that trial begins, 15 million Republicans go out and become surrogates for him and rally around him. The question becomes, what, how do the swing voters look at that trial? And how do the swing voters look at that? Again, 200,000 people in five states are going to decide the election. Are they going to, are they going to rally around Trump? Or are they going to decide this guy did some bad stuff and I and I and I'm just I don't want this anymore. I'm sick of this uh, clown show. I'm sick of all of it. Hey, Mark, see, the Democrats, uh, I'm yeah. telling you, I I've, this conversation three months ago, I would go, I don't see them rallying around him. And I'm not I'm I'm leaning towards they might because they've gotten to the point where it is so aggressive and the and the uh and the way in which they're handling this and the mug shots that are going to emerge and putting the other 18 into a holding tank in jail in the worst prison in Georgia, which they might actually be doing, is getting people so exercised. They're I'm, saying to themselves, I'm people, revisiting this. Our people, not not the swing. Look, if there was a poll out the, uh, the, uh, this morning. I can't remember which, which poll it was. Majority of people think that Donald Trump committed crimes. They just do. Republicans don't. I think it's only like 11 percent of Republicans think he did. But independents and Democrats, uh, all major- strong majorities think he committed crimes. Is it overkill? Of course it is. is, it, is it, I'm, I'm with the you know, with the I, I think that I would love to see a Republican come in in the election and part Donald Trump and put this all behind us. And ironically, the best chance he has of staying out of jail is if somebody else wins the nomination and beats Joe Biden and pardons him. Right. <laughs> he could get have all these indictments and then lose the election and and then Kamala Harris when she becomes president, because if Joe Biden wins, I promise you Kamala Harris will become the president before the four years are up. He is not capable of, of, of serving another four years in office. President Kamala Harris is not going to is not going to pardon Donald Trump. And President Kamala Harris is not going to clean up the Justice Department. And President Kamala Harris is not going to clean up the FBI and, and, and all the rest of it. Will Tim Scott? Damn right he will. Will Donna Ron DeSantis? Damn right he will. Would Mike Pence? Damn right he will. You know, so I, I, I get it. I'm, I'm as outraged as anybody else. But, I, but I, that doesn't make me want to nominate him for president. It makes me want to stop him. Good. So let me uh, bring it to the debate. Uh, so without Trump there, you get a chance to, uh, if he doesn't show, and I don't think it's, it's likely he's going to show, but who knows. Without him there, knowing that there's no opening statements, you get a minute to answer, 30 seconds, 45 seconds to follow up if you're challenged or if there's a follow-up question from a moderator. With about eight or nine on stage, what do you expect? I expect somebody to emerge and have a great night and somebody to have a terrible night. 
and I'm fascinated to see who it is. I mean, you know, this is like, you know, all of everything up until now is like the pregame. You know, it's all, you know, it's all about all of us sitting on ESPN talking about who's got the best running back, who's got the best quarterback, how is our team stack up against their team, blah, blah, blah. It's, they're, they're, now they're taking the field. And, you're, and one of the things I have learned in, in decades in politics is that candidate quality is the most important factor in deciding elections, period. People look at candidates and they decide uh, based on what they see and the, and the quality of the candidate. And we're going to see candidate quality. And then the other thing we got to keep in mind, if Donald Trump is the nominee, there's going to be a third party on the ballot. There's going to be there's going to be a no labels ticket uh, that is going to uh, that is going to run. They're going to field a bipartisan ticket with probably with Joe Manchin at the top and some uh, Republican uh, as the vice president. And that's going to change the whole dynamic of the election as well for the Republican. Uh, for Not necessarily. I think I, I think it's entirely positive. Again, candidate quality is everything. I think I think if if there is a no labels ticket, I think the Democrats become the third party. I think Joe Biden comes in third, and it becomes a Mansion Trump uh, election. And I think that anybody could win that. Uh, very interesting. Well, yeah, we're gonna be four weeks on court. Uh, weeks are gonna in between. Uh, you know, Super Tuesday and New Hampshire, it's nuts. It's insane. But I am looking forward to Wednesday. I'll be in Milwaukee, and that's the attraction. A lot of people are there just to see me. I don't have any sources on that, uh, but I feel it. I have no keep, no idea why, that, why I believe you that. You yourself. Right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for not supporting me. How dare you? Mark Thiessen, making sure I'm grounded. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 7669 Read your emails, com, and then Jimmy Fail at the bottom of the hour, unless we book something better. But we haven't, right? Is that possible? I didn't think so. Impossible. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, let's go out to Orlando where Chris is uh, listening on WDBO. Hey, Chris. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Not too much, man. I just want to give my opinion about Mr. Trump. As a, as a voter, I'm looking uh, for who his VP may be. Uh, the, the, you know, we know he's only going to get one term. Uh, I think he could, uh, with these un- all these circumstances, announce early uh, with everything being so crazy. I'd like to see Byron Donald in that position, and I think it may be advantageous for Trump to uh, release his VP nominee sooner than later. What do you? Yeah, I think that's a good. I, I can't argue with that. I want to see how he's doing in the polls once the caucuses start. But you would like to see it before Iowa goes, before New Hampshire votes. Yeah, I think, to be honest with you, I know what we're getting with Trump uh, and the good, the bad and the ugly. Uh, I'm really going to be concerned on who may potentially uh, carry the party past that. Uh, I don't want to see someone like Mike Pence, although he's a great gentleman. He's just too conservative. Uh, And I would like to see uh, I think Byron Donald is an outstanding candidate and could help us a lot in um, in certain demographics. I think he's pretty strong. Um, do you think DeSantis would be stronger? I don't think he'd be interested, and the bitterness is too great. But you have sitting governors with more experience. Yeah, but I don't really want to mess with anybody who's on the ticket right now. I think they have to kind of shuffle up because, to be honest with you, as much as I'll support Trump uh, if he's the nominee, uh, I'm slightly more independent. I happen to like the Vic, but at the end of the day, I don't want to lose. Here you. 
Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The original cartoon came out in 1937, and very evidently so. <laughs> um, there is a big focus on her love story um, with a guy who literally stalks her. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Weird. So we didn't do that this time. <laughs> so, no, so no prince or a different kind of prince? We have a different approach to what I'm sure a lot of people will assume is a love story just because, like, we cast a guy in the movie, right. Andrew Burnap, great dude. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I think everyone's going to have their assumptions about what it's actually going to be, but uh, it's really not about the love story at all, which is really, really wonderful. And whether or not she finds love along the way is anybody's guess until 2024. Um all of Andrew's scenes could get cut. Who knows? It's Hollywood, baby. Wow, this is pretty nice. Uh, Rachel Zegler is her name. She's very attractive. Uh, she is Snow White in a brand new Disney movie. And obviously, she's got a great perspective on what sells. Yes, keep love stories out of it. We don't want even a love interest in it. Maybe we can cut the man out. That'll be easy. Jimmy Fallon joins us now. Hey, now, hey. you've always been a Rachel, Rachel Zegler fan. A huge fan. Up until now, or even more now? First of all, I have so many issues with this film, just on a basic level, as a Fox guy. The fact that they got rid of the dwarfs. I've got to stand up for Gutfeld on that. <laughs> that's very that's, that's anti-Gutfeld right you know, there. I was thinking of other it's an anti-Fox News bias. Uh, but what's so ridiculous about the film is like the case she just made. Okay, because when sequels get made or reboots get made, it's because people really like the original. And she just got on in front of a microphone and was like, yeah, so you know all the things that you love about this movie? We're not going to do them. Forget right. the prince, forget the marriage, forget all that stuff. And you're a bad person for liking that. Yeah. That was stalking. Imagine we're doing a commercial for the Outback, and we're like, no steak this time around. We're just right. going to, no blooming onion. We're just going to go with an impossible steak and some fake office, a tofu onion. You're going to love it. So she was stunned that she had this backlash. Uh-huh. Are you? No. I mean, I think this is hilarious. But I think what's happening is, because she's trying to repurpose herself as a victim now, Ah, people took issue with my comments. Okay, if you went on Shark Tank and pitched a show as, hey, we're doing a we're doing a reboot of Top Gun, no planes, no Tom Cruise, right, right. no shirtless volleyball scene. Right. Okay, Did, on Shark Tank you get laughed off the set of the film, you know, and that's why Disney's in the in the trouble that they're in. But what Hollywood keeps doing, and you've seen this, like the Markles tried to do this with Meghan and Harry, is these people who have like really unique opportunities in life are using these platforms to sell themselves as some type of victim. You know what I mean? So I get up there. I disparage the popular Disney franchise. People think I'm an idiot. What's the world coming to? No, there was a time where if you did something stupid, we said it was stupid. We were kind of helping you by telling you not to do that. Here here she is, Cup 47, Mm -hmm. upset over the reaction. Mm -hmm. When I say that this has been the biggest adjustment of my life, like understanding the way my life operates now, being who I am, and the things that I've been so fortunate to make, it comes with so much ground. So much ground that I never thought I would be able to cover and that people think I'm doing poorly and other people think I'm doing gracefully and I don't think I'm doing it at all. (laughs) So when I tell you that it's hard, I just mean to be inside my brain. (laughs) That's hard. And I'm there 24-7. I can't can't get out of it. This is a life. This is real. It's filled with a lot of beautiful moments and beautiful people. I have a loving family, an incredible boyfriend that I love so much. 
beautiful friends and family, people that I miss. It's a, it's a privilege to miss people the way that I do, but it's hard and it's lonely. It's very lonely. I just know that if that loneliness can exist, so can other Sorry. things and I will be okay. You want me to lengthen that a little? You know, uh, I, 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 I feel like uh, it is this, but this reminds me of Special Forces when you talk to the celebrities yeah. after they get beat up and yeah, they camp. get beat up. You know what? Honestly, that sounded like a speech at the Oscars that the orchestra eventually starts playing <laughs> over. <laughs> like, that's what that clip needed. You just start playing an orchestra. Like, all right, run along now. We get it. It's, it's hard. Your family, your boyfriend. It's hard. Honored to be missed uh, to love somebody. <laughs> So I I don't know. I mean, they need a perspective. I mean, this is not going to get better because nobody in her life is going to say anything because she's making money. Of course. And that's the big problem. And if she goes the victim route, people kind of reinforce her thinking to begin with. Because when you're in victim mode, the last thing anybody wants to tell you is that you did something wrong. Right. So they're going to be like, ah, screw all these people. You know, you're wonderful. Keep getting out there and ruining the Disney name. Let's see if we could drive that stock a little lower. You know what I'm saying? By the time this is over, Disney's going to have a roller coaster called This Space for Rent Mountain. Mm. (laughs) It's like, just buy an ad. We're in a bad spot here. So if you look at what's happening in California, you see they're both on the actors and the writers are both on strike. Mm -hmm. You see that the way the city's been overwhelmed by homeless, it's not going anywhere, it's not changing. You wonder if things are going to be changing permanently. I mean, the actors aren't going to get paid. The writers aren't going to get paid. We're not getting a product. We're beginning to forget about the theater. And, yep. this, is a, this is a bad time for them. And there's no leverage on the side of the celebrities, and I'll tell you why. What happened with social media is everybody kind of became their own celebrity. Everybody is running their own individual news network now. Like we used to keep up the card with the Kardashians, but now everyone's their own Kardashian. You know what I mean? And a TMZ is now a me-MZ. You're just, here's every detail of my life. So people are so busy chasing their own clout now. And there's so much content to begin with. Like right. when, you, when you go on Netflix, I can read for two hours about shows I've never heard of and then shut it off without watching anything. Right. So basically they, they could strike for the next five years and the average person wouldn't get caught up on all the content offerings. So they're really on the wrong side of this. So to tell you where you're going with TV, the mm-hmm. CEO of uh, Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, made it clear to investors last week that Disney is seriously rethinking its commitment to traditional TV and considering selling its flagship networks like ABC, FX, and National Geographic because people are cutting the cord. Major sporting events uh, took a toll on traditional TV networks, they say. They're cutting the cord, and now we're at 50% of people of total TV usage is, is watching on cable. Yeah. But think about this. Which is bad news for us because we have a night, we have a day job. In theory. But we're offering live programming. Sports, live news. They need Jimmy live. Thank you. We're in an industry that doesn't have reruns, okay? They're in an industry that does, okay? And what they're doing is they're accelerating the cord cutting. They were one of the things people held on for is like Disney classics. But Disney's gotten so far away from their brand, you know? And so they're alienating their core customer, which is parents. Like whenever Disney starts giving lectures about inclusion, I'm like, dude, you charge 150 bucks to get in. Like there's nothing more exclusionary, you know? And that's the point. The prices are keeping more people out than the pronouns, but they don't get it. And they're fighting the wrong battle. All right, so Jimmy Fail is here. Jimmy, you have something exciting to Bombshell. tell our audience. Yes, I'm in the new Snow White. I'm kidding. Right. <laughs> You're going to play the man they cut out. <laughs> I'm the, they, Ted, they said the prince was a little different. Uh, it's going to be more of a buddy movie. My one hour, kill me. This is a big deal for Strong Island. It's a big deal for the world. My one hour stand-up comedy special, which is being shot by Fox and Fox Nation, uh, is filming Friday night, October the 13th, at the Paramount Theater in Huntington. 
Hey Girl. Two, wait, one show or two shows? Two shows. Uh, right. First one's at 7.30. Second one is at 9.30. Costume changes? Uh, yeah, I'll give you two looks. But you know what? It's for a special, so you have to wind up in the same outfit. You know what I'm saying? In case they cut saying. footage from the second right. show. But knowing me, it's like a Madonna concert. You know, every song, you're going to see a different number. So I can't promise you I'll wear one jacket all the way through. Wow, they're very interesting. It's a, <laughs> it's a real cliffhanger. Now, is this something that the Murdochs will be at? Will Lachlan be shooting this? Now, I've been told, okay, that they're canceling everything on their calendar for right. the foreseeable future. Did you tell me who told you that? If on the all, I, I have sources. Okay, right. uh, it's the Source Mall. It's empty now. It's on Long <laughs> Island, but it's my source. Every mall is. <laughs> There's a cheesecake factory in the front of it. It's doing just fine. Right. As for the rest of the place, uh, but it's a big night. And this is the thing, Kilmeade, and this is what people will appreciate. This matters. When I go on tour and I do stand-up, I'm doing stand-up like it's ni- somewhere between like 1988 and 1992. And what I mean is you get a permission slip to not take anything seriously that doesn't really exist in the real world anymore. Meaning, remember back in the day, we just we knew the difference between a joke and a hate crime? Yes. That's kind of what I'm doing. And I'm not out there being like intentionally provocative. I'm not like a shock jock. But the point is everyone will feel like they're a part of something that's like an escape room because you don't have to pretend anything I'm saying matters. Right. Which a lot of comics have been roped into playing the game the other way. So it's October 13th. It's at, it's at the Paramount, which is swanky. And our buddy, Chris Mazzilli, helped put it all together with Fox. How about right. that? A I home knew, game. I think I knew him first. You did know him first. Right. But did you know Iron Man first? Because he's tight with Iron Man. No way. Yeah, he has a show out now with Robert Downey Jr. Go watch it on HBO Max where they're refurbishing old cars. Iron Man. Our wow. hang, we have a buddy who hangs out with Iron Man. I can't believe it. Chris Mazzilli, old school. Like, yeah, yeah. He liked working on cars. Yeah, yeah. Guy liked his cars. They were hanging out with Iron Man. Does it blow you away that the escape room concept, so, you, so you're paying somebody to lock you in a room and challenges you to get out? I know. And you, a, pay, you bought a ticket? As a guy who works in corporate America, I'm like, they're just charging you to get into work now. <laughs> <laughs> do all these puzzles you don't want to do, and then you can get out of here. Never made sense to me. All right. Quick, quick thing. Let's uh, pivot to what's going on in New York. I was shocked by this. So we watch Mayor Adams have basically uh, personality uh, disorder. Yeah. One minute he's praising Joe Biden. The next minute he says, where's my federal money? Then it's Republicans fall for not doing reform. We know we've have over 200 facilities taking over kids' soccer fields. Curtis Lee arrested yeah. trying to stop them from taking over a parking lot in Queens, uh, a hospital parking lot in Queens. And now we have the governor coming out. And in a 12-page letter... Let Mayor Adams, his staff, know how you keep screwing up. You're not giving us a heads up. You're not helping us to know what's going on and what your needs are until it's too late. Yeah. Well, there's there's a duality to this because I don't doubt that some of they both suck. Of course, they were. They're terrible. Hochul's terrible. OK, Adams is awful. But they find themselves in this position because all of this sanctuary city, sanctuary state ideas that it was it was posturing under Trump. Because the border was being secured and they weren't going to ever have to worry about handling runoff. So it was easy to take this moral stand of like, nobody's illegal. We should build bridges, not walls. We don't need any more bridges, by the way, in New York. The right. way the Mets and the Yankees are going. Right. We've got <laughs> enough people jumping as it is. Right. But, and, and by the way, any time Joe, Joe Biden sees bridges collapse. Yeah, he's, he's, they collapse when he's around for some reason. Right. That's a sixth sense. Yeah. But the point is, everybody who took this position, okay, took this position thinking it was never going to come to them. So they'd get the goodwill of saying they're a sanctuary city, but they wouldn't have We're a nation of immigrants. Yeah, come on. That's what we were built on. But if you really cared about this issue and you're going to get out there with a straight face and yell, where are the feds? They should have been yelling, where are the feds, two years ago when Bill Malusian was watching thousands of people cross the river. Right. Think about that. The thing that's hurt, that helped this country more than anything else, and you, number one, probably so number two, Uh, because you helped the country. uh, Bill Malusian's drone team. 
Let me tell you something. That revealed exactly what was going on. Malusian and the drones, and this is why I make the case that he has the best hair in cable news. You know, people will give it to Ducey, you know, Peter Peter. Ducey, Peter. But Peter's in a dome. He's in the White House. Right. Okay. Malusian plays outdoors. He's at Lambeau Field in the elements. There's rain. Right. There's wind. There's water. And you got to respect that. You know, he's an outdoor, all-terrain QB. They say that the people have told me that he puts a helmet on. When he takes it off, it's the same Dude, way. Dude, the idea that he hasn't landed a product endorsement, I don't know what is going on. Well, I mean, we could sell, like the Yankees yeah. are now selling on their jerseys. Yeah. Could we do that to Bill Malusian, put Where it on his the, shirt? Some type of hair sculpting gel on Malusian's shirt. Right. I want Malusian, for real, for the work he does at the border, he deserves to look like a NASCAR driver. Absolutely. And he's already got the helmet on. <laughs> but he's got to get a piece of the action. That's what I'm saying. Right. i got to get his agents on I'm board. thinking Menon. Because Menon makes an array of products, and he could rotate it and through. And then we get the jingle, by Menon. Right. You know, but it's at the border. Not much of a jingle. At the border, it's let them in. Right. You know? <laughs> we even got the jingle down. It's great. Yeah, I, I'm helping your show just now. <laughs> don't don't tell me that's not going to be in your act. Now, come on. Now he wants a writer's credit. A little bit. All you said is I could come on and promote my show on the bigger radio show. I didn't know I was going to owe you royalties. It's always a shakedown. No, no, no. Always a shakedown. You begged to come on because you want to inform the nation that you have opinions on things that matter most. No, it matters. It, I, and people, I don't doubt, are riveted right, right now. Riveted. When they heard the community college guy was coming on who still plays video games in his 40s, they're like, we got to get a take here, honey. This matters. Did you live on campus? Uh, <laughs> yeah. We didn't have an option. I mean, campus was McKeebs, Nickel Beers across the street. Which, again, can I just say this? Because people love the idea of nickel beers. There's certain things in life you don't want too cheap. You don't want to buy them too cheap. Like, everybody sees those ads for $50 laser eye surgery. They look great till the cross-eyed doctor walks into the room. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, there's certain things you don't want a coupon no, for. thank you. Back in a moment. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmead coming up. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The president is uh, certainly deeply concerned about uh, about the people in Maui. Senator Horino, who I said the president spoke to uh, just last night, he thanked the president uh, for the immediate support of federal agencies have delivered for residents of Hawaii, um, and so does has uh, so has uh, Senator Shorts Shorts Shorts. Shorts. <laughs> Miss Gender. Miss Jenda Harona. Miss Name. Right. She said Harino. Right. By the way, we know she watches America's Newsroom now because she had Perino on the brain. She did, absolutely. Senator Harino. Right. She's about to call Shorts Hammer. She called Harino a he. And you know what's funny that it happened to Senator Harono because she is the dumbest person in elected office. Where is she, by the way? I mean, I mean here she is. Hawaii gets smothered. Yeah. People died. Over 100 died. You don't even see these people. No, no. They're probably sending a Venmo to Ukraine right now or you something. Just want to do a Donald idea. Trump interview. Yeah. Imagine that. Uh, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Fallon, for people that just came back, you got a big special oh, coming up. whoa. Yeah. Okay. Pump the brakes. This is important. Jimmy Fallon, one hour, stand-up comedy special. We're shooting it for Fox News, Fox Nation. It shoots Friday night, October 13th at the Paramount Theater in Huntington. Tickets mm-hmm. are on sale now. It is open to the public. You'll see some of my Fox pals. It's going to be a banger, Kill Me. As the kids say, it's going to be a banger. Did they say that? that? The kids say it. They were saying it outside on the way in here. Really? I was like, I had to look it up. I was like, what does that mean? Is that cap? 
That's another term the kids use. I also, can I just say one thing? I'm a little concerned you're hanging out with kids. Now, well, listen, the ankle bracelet goes off <laughs> if I get close. <laughs> Don't worry about me. It's, we actually have a president that shouldn't be around kids. It's bizarre what's going on right now. What we've accepted out of the White House right now, we would not accept out of a Waffle House. If leadership was sniffing kids and grabbing them, right. we'd, have to, we'd have to make a shift change at the Waffle House. By the way, the way you've personally, you'd see his ice cream comments yesterday. Yeah. I mean, are you kidding? I know, I mean, but he's like, he's so close to taking his shirt off and asking them to scratch his back for a dollar. Right. I'm like, all right, I get you doing the grandpa thing, but you're taking it. Are you going to take your teeth out and show it to him, you weirdo? It's working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is working. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, yesterday he just made up a story. He made up a story again mm-hmm. about him dying in the same hospital, him being born in the same hospital his grandfather died and didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Father, His grandfather died in a different hospital, different state. Yep. Then he comes up with a story again about the conductor. The Amtrak story. Never happened. He said he watched. He was sitting right there when a bridge collapsed. <laughs> never happened. When, when are we going to have to be accountable for something? Listen, man, uh, for whatever reason, everything we think is bad about this, they think is good. And I think it's because, obviously, he's out there, you know, shaking hands with invisible people. And that's allowing a lot of bureaucrats behind the scenes to run the country. You know, that's kind of my takeaway when I watch this. But it's like, dude, how many videos do I have to watch of them playing Hail to the Chief where he looks right and there's nobody there? Then he, then he, He's the only guy who takes more time to exit a speech than he does to give one. So listen to Joe Biden, 1987. We should have known we were getting into. Cut one. I have a much higher IQ than you do, I suspect. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. In the first year in law school, I decided I didn't want to be in law school and then decided I wanted to stay, went back to law school, and in fact ended up in the top half of my class. Here's the problem. Cut to. Biden now concedes he did not graduate in the top half of his law school class, that he does not have three degrees from college, and that he was not named outstanding political science student in college. Newsweek says Biden actually went to school on a half scholarship, ended up near the bottom of his class, and won only one degree, not three. Joe Biden ranked 76th in a class of 85 at the (laughs) University of Syracuse Law School. And we elected this guy. That was 1987. Tell us in 87. Listen, I I don't want to mock him. It's no way to treat a guy who survived the Titanic and walked on the moon. I mean, this is an accomplished man Is that going to be on your Fox Nation special? No, not at all. I'll give you better than that. This is just above average conversation. All right, Jimmy, where do we find out? Where do we get tickets? Tickets to the Paramount. Go to theparamount.com. It's on Long Island. And see, Jimmy, and I go, I pay full price. It's a whole, stop it. You're on the inside. And you work in the craft services, so yeah, they can't charge you. And I love crafts. (laughs) There it is. Back in a moment. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. So glad you've been here all week long. We have uh, David Brooks of the New York Times at the bottom of the hour. Great column uh, on how America got so mean and how to be unmean. Uh, Matt Whitaker, the former, uh, the former. Uh, Attorney General of the United States, uh, Acting Director and Chief of Staff at uh, Senator Sessions, who became AG Sessions. Uh, we'll talk to him, too. Uh, but first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And I can tell you who pays for it. The taxpayers of New York State. We are paying for all of this. And we are now paying for the failed leadership of our radical left career politicians. Yes, uh, that is Carissa Casillo. 
Talking about the broken border. Have Dems fighting Dems. Yep, mayors against governors. And schools are bursting at the seams because students from all other countries. Meanwhile, a wall we paid for is rusting in the desert. Go figure. Number two. Don't forget that these prosecutors all have egos. And she's been investigating this thing for two, two and a half years. Jack Smith swoops in. He charges quickly. And she said, whoa. Wait a second. Don't necessarily look at this as a as a partisan decision. This is probably an ego decision. And that is it. The fourth indictment coming from a Fulton County Court uh, prosecutor. Really? A former president? Don't you think you're over your skis? We'll talk about the trials from A to Z. Number one. Our latest Fox Power rankings has far better news for Tim Scott, putting him in third place behind Trump and DeSantis. The reason why they have him up so far is because our power ranking system takes into consideration early state polls in places like Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, as well as candidate performance. There you go. And now, of course, with Jit Jenkins, the 2024 Fox Power rankings are in. We have the results, trends, and game plans leading up to Wednesday's impactful first debate whether President Trump is there or not. Uh, Matt Whitaker was out on the stump. I saw him in Iowa, a place he calls home, with the former president of the United States. Matt, welcome back. Brian, great to be with you. Greetings from Iowa, my friend. So what was it like last weekend? (laughs) Well, the Iowa State Fair is amazing. Um, I don't want your listeners to know that I went to both the New Kids on the Block concert Saturday night (laughs) and the, uh, more importantly, the Eric Church concert on Sunday night. But we had, you know, the crowds were great. President Trump's visit uh, was electrifying. Just, you know, it was, I mean, they were stacked 25 deep just to see him flip pork chops. So we had a good time. This week we got our fourth uh, indictment, and I'm just reading uh, some accounts that, and Mark Levin, as well as Dan Henniger, the Wall Street Journal, are we at a point now in America where uh, county prosecutors are charging former presidents, a borough prosecutor in Manhattan char- charging for former presidents. This is going to be a situation where Republicans are going to go, OK, we're ready for some revenge. Texas, Oklahoma, Montana. Do you see do you see this happening? Yeah, I, I, Brian, unfortunately, I do. And I think that's the real con- most concerning thing for me is the uh, the tit for tat. It's going to break down uh, the rule of law and the equal protection under the law. Because, again, if, it's, if, if we have a weaponized system where one side uses it as against their political opponents, you're going to see that on both sides. And, you know, you talk about this Fannie Williams indictment in Georgia. It is expansive. Uh, you know, it uses uh, RICO conspiracy uh, based on what, what appears to be political uh, operations uh, and political things and lawsuits and investigating lawsuits. And so I think we're, we're in a brave new world, Brian. And – Knowing the president, the president knew he was staring right at this indictment. Now we have 19 people who have to report before the 25th. They're saying, Matt, that uh, they're going to take not the former president, but the other 18 might be in a holding cell for a while. They're going to put him through one of the most vicious prisons in Georgia. Uh, then uh, going to mugshot him, uh, give him a full uh, examination, fingerprint him, give him the whole process. What are they trying to do by doing things like that? Yeah, Brian, obviously uh, in, in America right now, the, the process is the punishment oftentimes. And I, obviously they're trying to give them a little bit of a shock uh, therapy and try to get them to cooperate, try to get them to turn state's witness and you know testify uh, against uh, Donald Trump primarily. And so I think, you know, you're going to see. I just don't know why in this, you know, in this alleged conspiracy and, and you know, what this case involves, why. 
they would do that uh, to folks, uh, you know, but that's where we're probably going to end up, I'm guessing. So you're absolutely right. So I want you to hear what this former attorney you might know, Ty Cobb, said. Cut 18. This is all Trump, you know, PR. This is, you know, uh, generating chaos. Uh, I mean, frankly, there's a good chance that whatever document he produces ends up as evidence against him. It could even could even end up, you know, as the basis for an obstruction count against uh, against the author, because it's likely to be fiction uh, and solely for the purpose of um, uh, uh, contaminating the jury pool. So what Ty Cobb was referring to is on Monday, the former president of the United States will not be depending on attorneys. We know Rudy Giuliani, with that leaking down the side of his head, didn't go well. Uh, when his presentation, nor did he have much substance behind it. The president's going to prove in Georgia that he won Georgia. And he says it's a little complicated, but that's who's going to look to prove. So Ty Cobb says it's going to be a big PR stunt. I don't know. Uh, PR stunt? I'm not really sure. I don't think the president does PR stunts. But, uh, Matt, Ty Cobb thinks it's a big PR stunt, what the president's going to present on Monday, which is proof he says that Georgia was stolen and they really won Georgia. Would you recommend the president not do that? Brian, I just, you know, Cobb is one of the many, many people, especially lawyers, that begged Donald Trump for a job. And then once they got what they wanted, they turned, you know, against him. And for for whatever reason, um, they've decided it's better for their career to be a Trump critic. You know, that being said, I think it's important that the president defends himself uh, in whatever manner or means he thinks. And if this is what he believes is his best way to get his message to the American people, then he should do it. Uh, interesting. Uh, one of his former aides, you might know, Alyssa Farah, mm-hmm. on, she believes that when the president's calling out this prosecutor, it's about race. Cut 21. With Trump, you don't need to look for a dog whistle. It's it's a bullhorn uh, when it comes to, to race. And I, I do think that's deliberate. We've seen the, I mean, slanderous attacks that he's he's uh, put out against uh, Fonnie Willis, you know, alleged things I won't even repeat. So he's not really hiding um, that he's going to lean into that element. And this is, in you know, taking place just outside of Atlanta. When you saw the courtroom, it was a lot of black men and women who were serving in that courtroom. The fact that he's introducing race into this prosecution surprises me. It's disgusting. It's textbook Donald Trump, but it comes as no surprise. Well, he did say that it's racist. That she, what is your reaction? Yeah, I'm, I, the people, you know, that sell their soul for fame and fortune, I'm not, you know, don't have a lot of respect for. And I'm sure that was on an outlet that their viewers respond to that, whether it's CNN or MSNBC. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, this is not about race. And obviously, um, this is about justice and uh, the politicization of our criminal justice system against political opponents. And so, Brian, you know, this is maybe a popular topic uh, and thing, thing to talk about on, on MSNBC. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this is about uh, what the facts and what the law are. And, you know, to, to for her to introduce that topic, I think it just shows how how willing she is to pander and sell her soul. So, Matt, they want to do this right the day before Super Tuesday. That's when uh, Fannie Willis wants to try President Trump and his co-conspirators, her words. Is that even possible? Six months, really? Yeah, Brian. I mean, that's outrageous time frame. And, you know, there's 15 states plus American Samoa that have their primaries on uh, Super Tuesday. And to have a trial start the day before and then also require, you know, the defendant not only to prepare for it. So weeks leading up to that, take them off the campaign trail and then also take them months off the campaign trail after Super Tuesday, uh, I think is 
uh, obviously a political stunt uh, by the prosecutor's office. That being said, you know, with 19 defendants, you're going to have all sorts of uh, multiple defendants jump uh, from the, the, the trial conspiracy and want to try their case on their own. So I think you're going to end up with this case dragging on for a long time. Wow. So if it does, you got to wonder if it gets to the fall, are they still pretending there's no election with the documents? <laughs> are they still pretending with January 6th? Are they still pretending? And now this? Are they still pretending? Alvin Bragg? I mean, they say the judge in D.C. said, I don't care about the calendar. And she decided she's not going to recuse herself. Isn't that big of her? So Matt Whitaker. Yeah, Brian, this is the it, thing. is it's Prosecutors control typically when to charge when to indict it. But ultimately, the, when the trial is, is has a lot of um, uh, once the once a defendant waives speedy trial rights under the Constitution, then, you know, the, the defendant controls a lot of uh, the trial schedule after that. The defendant does. Yes, the defendant but, does. Yes. But at the permit, I mean, these are all requests to judges, Matt, right? Yeah, but the prosecutor, the defendant's going to have a, a stronger voice and a louder voice in the actual setting of the trial date and, and things like their First Amendment rights and their ability to run for president of the United States certainly is relevant to those decisions and, you know, are, are appealable. Um, have you decided who you're endorsing? Yeah, I've already endorsed Donald Trump, Brian. I don't <laughs> Um, it's, it's, I've been pretty public about it. I was with him at the state fair on Saturday. So I, I worked with him. I like him. He's a friend of mine and I'll support him for president. All right. And, uh, and he likes the fact that you play football. Am I correct? <laughs> he does. When I saw him on Saturday, he was, he always is surprised how, how tall and, and big I am, but you know, it's just the way God made me. But you lost a lot of weight, big guy, right? I've been hitting the gym hard. You know, I, I, I've made it a priority in my life and tried to eat a little less and that, you know, it makes a big difference. Offensive lineman in college. Tight end. I played tight end tight for end. Uh, what is arguably tight end university at the University of Iowa. So do you think with the USFL and XFL, Matt, if if you, you might give football a shot pro? <laughs> there were a lot, a lot more outlets now and a lot more leagues. But, uh, you know, the, the real problem was my foot speed at the end of the day. I was good, a great high school player, a good college player. But, you know, it's uh, those are the elites. We'll see what we can do about getting your coach. Uh, and we'll get you back ready to go. Matt Whitaker, Sounds thanks great. so much. All right, my friend. See you soon. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I am uh, going to take your calls in a moment. Bottom of the hour, David Brook is going to Brooks is going to look at the big picture in life uh, and talk about what, what America is dealing with today. I think you'll love his perspective. Even if you don't, you'll appreciate it and get yourself talking over the weekend. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you believe as I do that this planet is God's creation, we have a moral responsibility to be good stewards of it. But even if you don't, we can all agree we have a moral obligation to ensure strong, healthy, resilient communities for future generations. I think that's an applause line. <laughs> How pathetic is that? She did this like four times, gave a speech, asking, begging for applause, and they're talking about one year on the Inflation Reduction Act. And it was all ruse. They said it. I mean, you had Joe Biden come out and just say, oh, yeah, I never should have named it that. It really wasn't attacking inflation. What it was was a spending plan to help my, my green supporters those people that wanted the infrastructure for electric cars i wanted infrastructure for roads and bridges with the infrastructure bill was 550 billion dollars 
All this spending has this overdraft $1.6 trillion. You believe this? So the president's celebrating it, saying the economy didn't crash, and he keeps citing the job numbers. We're at the point now where unemployment is not a big deal. What happens is we need workers for to fill out all these blue-collar positions, a lot of trades, and a lot of offices. Uh, I think it's pretty important to hear from Joe Biden's perspective. Not only does he is he proud of his economy, he's running on a cut-23. This law is helping families save thousands of dollars in energy bills every year through the tax credit and rebates to buy new and efficient electric appliances, weatherize their home, install heat pumps, rooftop solar. As a consequence of this, it's estimated that the consumer is going to save at least $27 billion in electric bills between now and 2030. I don't know where that number came from. I assume he thinks it's real. Uh, he also says Bidenomic is working. If it does work, keep running on it. But the Republicans feel very confident that they that it's not working and they embrace this conversation. And we'll see that Wednesday night, I believe. John Podesta, he never goes away from the Clintons, the Obama. This guy's everywhere. He was the one who really pushed President Obama to start with these executive orders. Now both sides are doing it, just bypassing Congress. Senior advisor to the president for clean energy innovation. Listen to John Podesta, Cut 28, with our own Jackie Heinrich. Polls keep showing that uh, people are broadly unhappy with the president's handling of inflation in particular. And the president has said he wished he didn't call this the Inflation Reduction Act. What should you call it? Well, he said, uh, following that uh, sentiment, because I think it's a complicated bill, uh, that it also has reduced costs. And I think it's very important to note that both on the health care and as I noted on the energy side. Yeah, so John Podesta is like, why, why, why is Joe Biden such a bad president uh, and just actually bailed me and put me in this spot by saying it's not reducing inflation? I mean, you just mislabeled it. I mean, the Vikings used to try to keep you off certain lands that they liked by mislabeling it. Uh, the president got mad at people that said it wasn't going to reduce inflation. And then he says, yeah, never was meant to reduce inflation. Crazy. Uh, So it's been one year. You know what the president did not mark? The one year since we left Afghanistan. That was also earlier this week. Here is uh, Nancy Pelosi taking a bow. Then I'm going to let you hear what Donald Trump had to say. Here she says, um, uh, here she's also urging an applause line. Cut 31. Many of the recommendations now in the law, including clean energy tax credits, sprang were present in that legislation. You know that, Mr. Markey, because you did a similar thing in the... uh, uh, earlier Congress. Thank you for your leadership. That's an applause line. <laughs> Is this ridiculous? Jared, you're over in Texas. Hey, Jared. How are you doing today? Good. You, what indictment do you want to talk about with the president, former president? I want to talk about how the Democrats have leveled, what is it, 100 now indictments against President Trump? Yep. Every single one of them is bullcrap. He's exercising his First Amendment right and the right as a former president to contest the results of the election with good cause. Look at the spikes in Joe Biden's votes in all those different counties. Pennsylvania, for instance, he got 30,000 to 100,000 votes in a matter of seconds. I don't want to go over the whole election thing. I have no interest in 2020. He's going to talk about it again because he's being charged. Uh, I think that every one of his charges has a defense that's pretty credible. 
In other words, there's no layups. There's no like, wow, he got caught here. So all of these lawyers say, yeah, I could fight that. I could fight that, which at the very least, it means the president's going to have four weeks sitting in a courtroom almost every day, which means he's not going to be out there campaigning, which don't tell me that doesn't affect the election. Now, his critics will say, so what? He, he did all these things himself. Uh, he deserves to be pulled off the campaign trail. Well, not if you're innocent. And he feels he's innocent. And 50% of the country feels he's innocent. I think 14% of Republicans thinks he did something wrong that should be prosecutable. There's a lot that don't. Now, you might be at home going, okay, how could he not? Now, January 6th, I thought it was a terrible idea. No idea why I'd give this speech. I've said, for the record, President had his worst moment after that election. I agree. Nothing good about January 6th. I agree. Taking the documents, a self-inflicted wound. Uh, when you talk about a grand plot, it didn't happen. There was no grand plot uh, on the insurrection on January 6th. There's not, didn't happen. And then to go to town to put Jack Smith with all these charges, uh, one after the other, 100, 100 charges, and we're looking at 700 years in prison. That gets get people galvanized on the other side. They go, yeah, I wasn't for that. But this is way over the top. This is politics, which might defeat the Democrats' purpose. When we come back, we talk about this country in a way that David Brooks uh, wrote about. He's going to talk about how we got so mean and more. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, keep in mind, One Nation coming up at uh, Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Please join me on the Fox News channel uh, for that. Great roster of guests, including Dr. Jordan Peterson is going to be there. Uh, we'll have, the, we'll have the, uh, the co-host quiz, which I think is uh, phenomenal. Uh, Kellyanne Conway will break down the debates and so much more. We're also going to talk about the climate change and reality behind it. Uh, with some special guests, including Michael Schellenberger. Uh, first, it's my privilege to bring on to the show David Brooks. He's got a great op-ed. You see him all the time in the New York Times. And I've had a very, very lengthy uh, one that matters a lot uh, that has just came out and basically talks about how America got so mean in a culture devoid of moral education. Generations are growing up in a morally inarticulate, self-referential world. Uh, David, welcome back. Oh, great to be back with you. And so, David, what brought you to this point? to write something so extensive and do the research dating all the way back to the end of World War II? Yeah, I've just over the last eight years, I've been obsessed with two questions. The uh, first is why have we become so sad? There's rising depression, rising mental health, rise, you know, a third rise in suicide. Uh, the number of people who say they have no close personal friends has quadrupled. So, like, what's going on with our society? And then the second question is why have we become so mean? And so I have a friend who owns a restaurant. He says he used to kick somebody out of his restaurant every week for entitled behavior. I have a, I ran to a lady who's a nurse, head nurse at a hospital, and she said her main challenge is to keep her staff because uh, the patients have become so abusive that they want to leave the profession. And so this just sadness and meanness are like pervading our society, and I just wanted to get the roots of it. So and right, some of it is yeah. social media and some of it, you know, um, maybe some inequality. But to me, you know, for generations, we have, we grew up in a society that taught sort of moral skills, like how to be kind to people, how to be considerate, how to disagree well. And no one's teaching the skills anymore. 
So does that go on parents? And when my original concept when I started reading the story was this is going to go back to social media, especially when you talk about eight years. That's really the advent of the phone and yeah. and the way we communicate, the way we're in our phones when we're, we're around our friends and family. We don't even talk to the people next to us. And I thought that was the foundation of it. But you think it's deeper. Yeah, I think that's a big factor. Um, you know, on social media, there's like judgment everywhere and understanding nowhere. So everybody feels sort of alienated. But if, you know, the phones are everywhere around the world uh, and the social and moral crisis are mostly America, <laughs> we have it worse than anybody else. So it's the interaction of, of phones with a deeper problem with the culture. And my basic story there is that, you know, our founders looked around and they said, human beings are beautifully and wonderfully made, but we're also deeply broken and sinful. And if we're going to make a decent society out of people who have sin, then we've got to do moral formation. And moral formation sounds, you know, pretentious and pompous, but it's really just three things. It's giving you a purpose in life. What are you directed toward? Maybe toward God or toward family or toward country. Second, it's restraining your selfishness so you can be a little self-disciplined in front of temptation. And finally, it's just teaching, like, basic moral skills. Like, how do I develop a friendship with you? How do I, if I'm going to break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend, how do, how do I do it without crushing their heart? How do I have a good conversationalist? How do I be a good listener? These are skills, like any set of skills, they need to be taught, and we sort of dropped the ball. So you, know, you say Cub Scouts, Girl Scouts used to be a way of doing that and, and used to talk about some uh, outside organizations. But fundamentally, if parents aren't doing it, uh, you got to get it elsewhere. If it's a broken home, divorced home, single-parent family where they're working uh, 50 hours a week, it's got to go somewhere else. So you think we got to set up some uh, moral structures in our society? Do you think is that somewhat of a plan? Yeah, I think that's somewhat of a plan. I mean, I mean, I think our schools, I mean, first of all, you're right, our families should be doing it. But, you know, families need to be embedded in communities where everybody's sending the same message. And with fewer people going to the church or synagogue or mosque, uh, they're not getting the message there. And then we've developed a culture, especially after World War II, where we tell people, you're wonderful, you're good. <laughs> and so you don't need moral formation. You're good just the way you are. All you got to do is look within and find the angel within. And that was sort of the self-esteem movement in the 1970s and 1980s. And so all the, a lot of the institutions that used to really do moral formation, like teaching you how to be a decent person, how to show up well, they just got out of the moral formation business, and they got into the you-do-you uh, you business, like self-affirmation. And just we became a much more narcissistic and egotistical society. So we need a moral shift, but, and then we need – then we need actual skills. And I've actually spent the last four years working on a book, which is coming out in the fall. And it, all I do is I collect skills. How do you become a good conversationalist? How do I listen to you with attention? When I meet you, what kind of gaze do I cast upon you? Like I have a buddy who's a pastor in Waco, Texas. And when he meets somebody, anybody, he, he knows he's looking at someone made in the image of God. And he knows he's meeting someone who was uh, so important that Jesus was willing to die for that person. And I don't care if you're Christian, Jewish, atheist, whatever, but looking at every person you meet with that level of respect and reverence is a precondition for seeing people well. I mean, in other words, uh, find the good in everybody. Find the, I'd rather see more of the good than the bad. You could find either one, but you start with let's find the good. There's got to be something good about that person. Um, yeah, to begin with. You, everybody you meet is more interesting than you on some subject. Everybody you meet is better than you on so, at something. So if you ask them the questions like what they really care about, you're going to have a great conversation. And when you have a great conversation, people feel respected. 
Uh, and, you know, somebody said in any conversation, respect is like air. When it's there, nobody notices. But when it's absent, it's all anybody can think about. Do you think we've hit different crises like this in our past? I mean, I know that there's always a sense of loss of patriotism in our past. If you read back, uh, you know, even leading up to the War of 1812, they write, you know, where's that spirit of 76? Where, you know, these people, you know, the, this generation is as tough as we were. I mean, and it just amazed the same thing leading up to World War One, right after the Civil War of the 1880s. They talked about how soft their kids were. Do you think that we go through cycles like this, depending on the challenges our nation has? I think we do. Uh, you know, at the end of the 1880s, what you mentioned, it was like us when we were fearing we were losing the greatest generation. They were fearing they were losing um, the Civil War generation. And they did things to to take care of it. They, you know, they established the Pledge of Allegiance. They established a lot of civic practices to try to give people um, sort of moral sturdiness. Uh, Basically, college football got started so young men could learn to be a little tougher. Uh, And so every generation is called upon, I think, to to address the moral challenges of of their day. And and our particular day, it's this uh, rise in depression, rise of distrust, uh, rise in the ability to be really be good friends to one another. Now, how much of, of this, like when people look at depression and they look at some of the medications out there and everyone wants to see a therapist and psychologist, like, for example, if you're if you're in a situation in your life, you get hit by Sandy or if you're on that in Maui and you got your whole life destroyed, you don't have time to be depressed. You got to worry about the X and X's and O's of eating, surviving, finding out where I'm going to get where we're going to live, where your family is. There was a time in which we were scrambling to make a living. And the fact is, as a country, despite our debt and challenges that we have, we have a lot of luxuries that we never had past generations didn't have. And when you don't have the things that that are necessary for survival and success, and you look around and go, okay, uh, what makes me happy? I don't know. Because I know I can survive. I know I have a place to live. I know I have a job. So what satisfies me when you realize you don't know what that is, income to the depression, without that sense of urgency and survival? For example, in Ukraine, they're fighting so hard to survive, wondering about their loved ones. I don't know how much Prozac they need. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, there are some cultures where they don't really acknowledge depression. Uh, I think, you know, I, I look at parenting and I think and the way we do schools and a lot of the parenting in a lot of schools is based on a false idea. And that false idea is if I keep you, my child, safe, then you'll grow strong. But if I keep you too safe, you never learn to deal with setbacks. You never develop resilience. And a friend of mine points to the fact that a lot of kids have peanut allergies now in schools and they can't serve peanut butter in schools. And why are there so many more peanut allergies in schools? It's because we're protecting kids from encounters with peanuts. And so they become more vulnerable to the allergies. And so that's sort of a metaphor for uh, a better form of parenting. And I think that's part of what's happened, part of that cultural shift is we thought, I just need to keep you safe and then you'll be better. But that's not the way you make people strong and resilient. And is your goal to make people aware of what's going on? Uh, And unless you take a step back and analyze society, uh, you're not going to pick up. You can't change it unless you recognize it. it. Do you have a... Are you are you chronicling this, or are you looking to make this an action plan? I'm looking to make this an action plan. So, you know, the book that's coming out, it's called How to Know a Person, and I really walk people through. I, I didn't know the skills myself. Like, if I want to make you feel respected, seen, heard, and understood, what you do every day on your job, you, you talk to people. and But I've got to become a really good conversationalist. I've got, got to become a really good listener. 
I've got to know how to ask questions. I've got to know when to wait when you, when I sense that you're being not you're, you're being a little scared because I'm being too probing. So I've got to be patient. They're just all these social skills, uh, and we don't teach them. And so in the book, especially, I, I I just walk people through the skills, and it's like here's how you do carpentry, here's how you play baseball. Well, here's how you relate to other people. It's it's a skill set. You know, I do do. I I remember my kids. I go. The first thing you got to do is find out, uh, to listen to people, and let them know you care. If they tell you that they have a big game over the weekend, the first thing when you see them on Monday is how'd you do? If you have a big test coming up, show them that you listen, you care, you do follow up, and on some level they're going to say, "I like that guy. I like that woman." You know, they 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 care. I don't know why I like them. I just get along with them. It's because they're asking questions to show that you're listening, and that it what they said mattered. Yeah, absolutely. In my book, I say there are two kinds of people, illuminators and diminishers. Diminishers stereotype and ignore you. They make you feel invisible. But illuminators make you feel lit up, and they know what matters to you, like you said. And they say, well, how'd the game go? Or, you know, they'll they'll say, how's your mom doing? You know, or, you know, in the, if you've got a friend who's suffering, sometimes you don't have to say anything. There's nothing you can say because they're, they're really going through something hard. So you just show up. and It's just the art of presence. I had a friend whose um, daughter got banged up bad in a bike accident. She said, you know what? The best thing that happened during the many months where she was recuperating, somebody came to our house, noticed we didn't have a shower mat in the shower. So they went out to Target. They got a shower mat, and they just put it in, and they didn't even say anything. They just did the practical thing, and they said, she said, that was so honoring. It was like they knew what I needed. They did what was practical, and they didn't turn into a big drama. Yeah, uh, take action. Uh, I think a lot of it, too, the pandemic, I'm interested to see what you thought the pandemic did for uh, your concern about our nastiness as a culture and maybe our self-absorption, because we were told as a country, stay home, uh, stay away, don't go out to eat, and in many cases, your job doesn't matter, right? So people got introspective for a while, and they go, you know what, uh, I think it I think it brought everything to the surface, almost like putting peroxide on a cut. It went right to the infection in, in many ways. Yeah, well, and it made me more less social. It took me months to get back into social life, so it, it did not have a good effect on my social skills. It had the pandemic had a couple some good effects and some bad. Like I thought there would be a lot more rise in suicide during the pandemic, but it didn't happen because people were staying home with their families and they were getting enough sleep. And so that was a good effect, but there was a bad effect, especially on young people's mental health. If you ask people um, in 2019, do you feel persistently despondent and hopeless? It was like 21% said yes. After the pandemic, it was like 40%. So just a sharp rise, especially for young people because of that isolation. And David, what's the response been to to the column you put out? It's been uh, overwhelmingly positive. I think people sense that, you know, there's just something weird going on in our culture, uh, and um, they're looking for explanations. And I don't know if my explanation is the whole one. Like social media certainly plays a role. And but I think I was pointing to a, a piece that hasn't been played up as much, which is, you know, we, you, get, you get our kid, our parents, our grandparents, our schools, our churches. They don't just channel us through. They form us. They turn us into different kinds of people. And we need institutions that will do that for each successive generation. I hear you. Uh, David, great talking to you. I look forward to your book. Hopefully you'll come back on. 
We'd love to. We'd love right. to. You got it. Uh, David Brooks, New York Times opinion columnist, op-ed uh, columnist, I should say. David, thank you. All right. When we come back, uh, well, for wrap up this hour, take some calls. I'm going to go to some emails, I promise. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And I was going to do it, but you preempted me. I said, I have an applause line. Nancy Pelosi. But I have a few more applause lines, too. That was uh, Chuck Schumer with the embarrassing presser yesterday for the Inflation Reduction Act, which is all about green energy and somebody's agenda jammed down your throat. Now, I know you could say, wait a second. Isn't tax reform someone's agenda? Sure. But they didn't say tax reform was uh, was um, uh, farming subsidies. They, they named it what it was. It was tax reform. And this is what they wanted to do. And they, they put it out there and they did it. And we're looking at all this stuff and we're just saying this is what this is just putting all this spending things into uh, technologies and energy sources that we're just not ready for, that we don't manufacture, that we have to purchase, that makes us more uh, more dependent on China and other developing nations, to, and that you told us it was going to do for inflation. It was an emergency. And obviously, when it came down to Joe Manchin signing on for it, uh, he did, and that allowed it to pass. In the beginning, he says, you got to be kidding me. Uh, look at our situation of our economy. The last thing we should be doing is... Spending it. And I believed him. And then at the last minute, all he did was sign on to it. Sign on to it. To me, that's crazy. Um, a couple of emails. Terry doesn't agree with uh, doesn't agree with Mark Thiessen. He says that uh, that Trump can win. He can more uh, win. He's more confident than ever before. Some other emails. Uh, Brian, Mark Thiessen is wrong. I just doesn't like Trump. Uh, I think he can win. Uh, no, I think he does like Trump. They did talk a lot. He just feels after January 6th, the president cannot win over independence. You got to understand, people got to have different opinions of you. If they disagree with you, embrace it and say, why is it? Listen to him and say, well, no, I don't agree. But you don't have to dislike them. Uh, Brian, right now, I have to say that Mike Pence, uh, uh, he thinks Mike Pence would clean out the FBI and Justice Department. What a joke. I don't think he would do that. Uh, that was one of our earlier guests came forward and said Mike Pence would be the guy to fix things. Mike Pence agrees with the former president of the United States, I think probably 85% of the time. He's going to have a tough lane because his lane is I totally support everything about the Trump agenda, but I don't support Donald Trump, don't think he should be president again. I am not sure that that's going to win over the Trump voters. It might be the one to get the independent voters, but independents uh, and moderates without the Trump voters – is not going to deliver an election. Now, Pence is about fourth or fifth. He's always in single digits. I have yet to see him in double digits. Uh, we'll have to see. The one thing that about the Fox poll that I think should alarm Republicans, it's within the margin of error, and Trump is the closest, but not one of the Republican candidates, as of right now, beats Joe Biden. But at that this period, running for re-election... Joe Biden has the lowest ratings of any president, including Donald Trump, who was at uh, 46 percent at this point when he was running for election. That was before the pandemic really got its legs. Don't forget to watch One Nation. It's Saturday night at 8 o'clock. I hope you're going to be there. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.